God is great. Amen, church? Amen. Thank you, Rich, band. Woo, Jen, for that. Man, preparing our hearts to exalt the King of Kings. He's the only one worthy of that type of praise. Amen? And of all praise, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Wow. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Can we welcome our guests today, Smoke Rise Faith family? Yes. What a blessing. Always to have our guests with us and every Covenant Church member. Thank God for you and your commitment and consistency to the Lord and His church and makes us stronger. And, um, and, and that's, we're beginning a series in the book of Acts. And um, wonderful, wonderful chapter of our, our book of the Bible and many chapters, 28 chapters. Uh, we will not be covering every chapter as much as I want to, but anyway, we are going to cover the majority of this book as the Spirit leads. And so Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be today looking at the first 11 verses. And so in today's time, there will be some teaching along with kind of educating us on the purpose of the book and, uh, and also along um, the book itself, tying in some of the chapters together, seeing the hand of God, seeing the hand of God at work. Uh, and uh, I've been uh, titled the sermon, Stop Waiting to Be a Witness, which goes along with a takeaway. And this is the takeaway that we want to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to put deep in your heart. And that is this, every true believer is empowered to witness. Every true believer is empowered to witness. So you don't have to wait if you're a child of God or you're a believer to share your faith, to share your testimony, your before, how, and after, and how God changed you. You, you do not have to wait to invite an unchurched neighbor to church with you as a beginning step in that. And that's the heart, that's the hope beat that when everybody does their part in uh, uh, being a witness and uh, even a, a first baby step to that, extending a weekly witness, looking for someone uh, to even extend an a, a, a invite to, is the word I'm looking for there, then God begins to move in that and he blesses our obedience for that. So in, in Acts today, in the book of Acts, we, here's what we're going to see, okay? We'll see a spread of the gospel, the growth of the church, and our role in its fulfillment. And you'll see the people of God center around Christ, the cornerstone of God. You will see times of, as we're kicking off our fast today, you'll see times of fasting that took place in the believer's life, the benefit of that. And I encourage you to join us. Today is the day to kick that off. So um, if you've already had two biscuits this morning, that's okay. Uh, and uh, and, and God, God, God's okay with that. And so, But you do pray about what God would have you to fast during this 21-day fast. And, uh, and that we'll conclude on August the 27th, and God will move in our hearts and our lives. I do want to ask you, those of you that, um, that do fast, and you always look forward to the fast, and I know God's grown, that he, he's uh, spanned that flame among our people, uh, but let's just pray specifically for the will of God in the life of our church, in His church here, uh, and let's pray for revival. Let's pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts, and um, that I'm talking about in a way that absolutely uh, we would be astonished and be in awe of, of God's Spirit being poured out. Well, Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, and it follows the Gospels. We learn all about the person and the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, and thank God for him and them, uh, and thank God for the book of Acts, because it's here we are first uh, introduced to the Holy Spirit as the one who would come to live inside of us. Remember, Jesus came to bear witness of the Father, 
And the Holy Spirit came to bear witness of Jesus. So Jesus told his disciples, if you can gather this moment in your mind, right before he ascended, uh, and that's how Luke concludes his book uh, in Luke, that he would, right before Jesus ascended, he said he would not leave them alone, but that he would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would convict, he would comfort, he would lead them into truth. And this is a word for all disciples to come. So as disciples of Christ and the church, um, we must ask the question, where is God leading us? Where is God leading us? And, and as you think about that question personally, and we think about it corporately as a church, I just want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that clearly to us as individuals and as a church. Father, you are God. Lord, there's none other like you. The heavens declare your glory. And Father, we... Um, God, are so unworthy, Lord, uh, to be called sons of God. We're so unworthy to be called your children. And we know that we bring, we confess that we bring nothing in and of ourselves good to the table. Uh, Lord, even the person here that thinks they're a pretty good person, God, evidently doesn't understand it's all by your grace, God. Uh, it's all by your grace, literally, your riches, God, God's riches at Christ's expense. So, Father, help us never forget that. Help us to be ministers of, that, ministers of your grace, Lord Jesus. Help us to be connected to you in covenant relationship, connected to your church, Lord, and one another through covenant relationship. Lord, strengthen us, God, as we fast and pray over this 21 days, Father. Would you, God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, Father God, in a, in a fresh way, Father, in a way that you've never done, Father Lord, and do what you desire to do, God, in your church in these last days. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. So that is a driving question we must ask ourselves is where is God leading us personally? Where is God leading his church? And in, as individual believers and as the church, we are designed and we are called to move, to be on the move. Acts is a, a book about movement and God's movement and progression of the church. In fact, recording approximately 30 years of the movement of the church, beginning with the Lord's ascension in A.D. 33 and extending to Paul's second year house arrest that ended around A.D. 62 is the movement that is recorded. And so I, I, this is a question that I want to ask you that the Holy Spirit asked of me. Uh, and this is the question. What would a record of the spiritual movement in your life and my life look like? What if someone else picked up a book and they were reading the spiritual movement and progression of my Christian walk and your Christian walk? What would that book look like? What would it read like? What would be the thickness of the book? I thought about that question. It was very convicting to tell you the truth. And so, you know, would, would it be short? Would it be boring? Would it be exciting? I would, I would hope so, that we would say there's some excitement in it, that excitement comes from um, the, the Holy Spirit, and some people get a little wigged out with that, and some people go way too far in that, right? We know, we know that's the case, misinterpretations of Scriptures, and we know there's a balance in all that, but, but there needs to be some movement. And generally when you hear movement, you hear excitement. And you've got to remember the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness of Jesus Christ. We are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the gospel. And in the Greek, gospel means dynamite. So there's supposed to be some explosion in a positive way. There's supposed to be some movement. There's supposed to be some walls of resistance, some walls of separation, some walls of sin. And we see all of that in the book of Acts. 
We see walls of sin being torn down. We see walls of racism and separation being torn down for the glory of God. We see oneness in the church that Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer that we would be one as, as, as he and the Father are one. We see so much. We see how the church moves, how it grows, how the Holy Spirit works, how the church is established, that the church is a movement. Acts is the only book that we have in the Bible that records the historical transition from Judaism to Christianity. And we're going to be looking at how that happens. Let me give you a little breakdown. I told you we'd do a little teaching on this, a little overview of this. In chapters 1 through 7, we see the movement of the church in Jerusalem. And, and, and that's about two years, in cha- uh, two years worth. In chapters 8 through 11, we see the movement of the church in Judea and Samaria. That's 13 years, over these 30 years span we're talking about. And then in chapters 12 through 28, where we see the ministry of Paul, the first part of Acts is the ministry of Peter and John helping him, but mainly Peter there. But in the ministry of Paul, uh, when it transitions to chapters 12 through 28, we see a movement of the church toward the end of the earth, and that's about 15 years. And so... I want you to think about the word move and the word movement as it pertains to you and your spiritual walk and your spiritual life. Some of you may be here and you do not know Christ in relationship. You may have a little bit of religion and, uh, that, and that's different than relationship. A lot of people have religion and, um, and the relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal thing. It's not a thing uh, that's more religion-based, religion in a negative way where it's uh, how many times you come to church, what you do, how you serve, how you give. It's not that type of thing, what you bring to the table. It's a relationship. And so with the relationship with Christ, it's designed to have constant movement because here's what you've got to remember. When, 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 you say, when you say yes to the Father's invitation that the Holy Spirit reveals to you in drawing and convicting your heart to turn from your sin and, and, and follow Jesus Christ, automatically what happens is uh, the, the mover... <laughs> The mover of life, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead comes inside you. And so he's constantly, constantly going to be moving you toward God and the things of God and the will of God. He's constantly going to be moving you to who God wants you to be. And that, that calls for a question among, I believe, each and every one of us. Is there more movement in our life going on toward God and the things of God? Or more movement going on toward our own agenda and the things of the world? Which one? Because I find that's a, that's a juggle struggle that I find that too many times the believer in the church in general is more weighed down by the ways of the world uh, rather than fulfilling the movement that God has called us to fulfill. As I had the opportunity to go with my uh, wife and my daughters, me and three ladies, um, and uh, camping uh, as, and, and over our, our summertime together, we went primitive camping. How many have ever been primitive camping? Some of you don't even know what that means. It means without electricity. And some of y'all said, you're crazy, right? I couldn't believe he would put his family through that. But they enjoyed it. And, uh, but primitive camping, we had the opportunity to go primitive camping. And one morning I, I got up and I said, you know, I'm going to go a little early and I'm going to take a, a, a bike ride. And I did. And, and, uh, and I'm going to go along. And, and I, I found myself by the creek. Uh, at that time, and I was reading the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 1, I was reading Isaiah 1 along with it, um, and I caught the river, and I noticed that the river that I was on, the beautiful river, uh, I noticed it was constantly moving, I noticed the main current was in the middle, I noticed there were pockets of calm water to the left and the right, and God began to speak to my spirit about movement. God began to speak to me about the movement in my own life, the movement of his church. And you know, when you look to the left and right, if you've ever been canoeing or kayaking, and I love doing those things and uh, going down the river and 
Uh, and, but, but if you look, there's pockets of calm water. It's a place to pull off. It's a place to rest. But here's what God said to me. If you stay too long, it's a place that becomes stagnated. God never meant for you to pull off to the side too long. God, God never meant for you to pull off to the side and rest too long and not be a part of allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and your life and be a part of His church as His church moves. And I thought about, you know, sometimes there's some great fishing and great moments right after you come through a rapid or the main current and you, you eddy off and you pull off to the side and it's, it's, it's some great fishing, but guess what? You eventually fish even those places out and there are no more bites. And you have to get back in the current because there's more fish down the river. And that's the way it is for the church. I find it a constant challenge and, 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 and pray for me because I, I want to take my last breath having challenged the church to not be stagnant. Having challenged the church to be a movement moving, always moving toward one more person who needs to be caught with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because Jesus called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. And that takes everybody being a witness, and we're all as believers empowered to be a witness. The Holy Spirit is the current who wants to move you and me and the church to his destination and toward better, parentheses, harder things. We like the better part, but we don't like the harder part. And I'm finding in my walk that as I look at Scripture, I find no one that God used for His glory who had it easy. No one had it easy. There was hardship. There was trials. There was persecution. We're going to read that in the life of Peter. We're going to read that in the life of Paul and John. In fact, when you look at all the healings that take place, even in the book of Acts, you'll find that it was God working through the apostles to minister through them in a fresh, new, apostolic way that in every time it was lost people being healed. It was the ministry of the Holy Spirit to get the gospel in somebody to transform them more spiritually than it was physically. We've even got to be careful that we don't misinterpret it somehow to use the book of Acts and the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit in a way that God never meant for it to be used. And we'll talk more as we go through the book. Now some of that may rattle a little bit and say, you don't think God still heals? I definitely believe God still heals today. But I think if I stand and preach that you are healed by His stripes... And, and, I, and, I, and I stress that that's physical healing when it was spiritual healing that he meant by that. And I try to stand up here and tell you that if you'll just claim it and name it, you'll be healed and your infirmity will go away. I think the Apostle Paul would come back and jack slap me because he died dealing with his, with his illness and his infirmity that tormented him. So we've got to preach the truth and preach the gospel as it is and realize that God does still heal, but he's not going to do it by me commanding it on you. He's going to do it by us calling out to him as children of God in prayer and asking him to move. Well, let's look and ask this question. Let me ask this question, then we'll look at verse 1 through 3. Will you move with the current or stay in a stagnated place? Will you move with the current or stay in a stagnated place? That's the question as you think about uh, what you're going to do and allow God to do in and through you. Because he will not force you. 
He will not force you, but his heart's desire is to move in and through you, move in and through us as a church. Let's look at Acts 1, and I want to look at the first three verses, okay? We'll break it down as we go. Acts 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, Luke is writing here, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, there's the ascension, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about, note, the kingdom of God. In his first book, Luke is writing. Some people think Paul because it's so much about Paul. But actually, it's this book um, that, uh, that we find where Luke writes the majority of content. Not the most books in the New Testament, uh, but he writes the most content per wording because he is the author of the book of Acts. And Theophilus here, he's writing to a real person named Theophilus. Theophilus means a lover of God. But here he's writing to a real person, and he's writing to a disciple and a person who has questions. He has questions about what God wants to do with him, what God wants to do with his life, and literally uh, it gives us answers to what God wants to do in the life of every disciple and every church member. And so he walks through that part to Theophilus, a lover of God. And what is the main reason Luke is writing this book in addition to the first part of his book? You see, Luke and the book of Acts really go together. So like, like they do, you know, they're together in the Gospels, but they go together as books. They're not, it's like Luke, it's like Acts is part two um, of, of this book. So you've got Luke and you've got the book of Acts. And so the main reason that he's writing is, number one, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, but he's writing to Theophilus as well as others who would read it. And what is the main reason? Here's the main reason that he would write it, is that we would do what Jesus did. That we would do what Jesus did. The whole theme of the book of Luke is for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we're to do what Jesus did. We're to teach what Jesus taught. What did Jesus teach? Jesus taught that salvation is available to all who would deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus Christ daily, Luke 9, 23. That we would lead others to Jesus. Remember some of the stories in the book of Luke? A wee little man named Zacchaeus, a little short man who most considered an outcast. They wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't want him near their church building or their temple because of who he was and the anger that had set inside their heart toward him. And, and, we, and we see the mindset of the, of, of the Pharisees toward him. Remember the immoral woman washing Jesus' feet with perfume? We read about that in Luke. Remember, Luke gives a great description of the conversation of two thieves at the crucifixion which I'm so glad he did because it's on the cross when Jesus is struggling in his hardest moment, even praying that it be po if it was possible that the cup would pass from him that he was having to drink, and it wasn't possible, so he didn't pray his will, but he prayed, Thy will be done, O Father. And in the point of giving it all to God as he's drawing his last breath, God is doing what he sent him to do by saving one of the thieves and, and, and giving him eternal entrance into heaven. Amen? That's an amazing story. And, and, and the, of what God can do. And so the book of Luke and Acts combined shows us that, don't miss this, that the gospel is all-inclusive. Everybody say all-inclusive. Elbow your neighbor and say, that's you. Wake up. Thank you. All right, I didn't want to have to call them. All right, I'm joking. All right, I didn't see anybody sleeping, but it's possible. All right. The book of Luke focuses on, the, the, don't miss this, the book of Luke focuses on the vertical 
the vertical universalization of the gospel, and up and down on the social scale, we see the book of Luke dealing with all of that. People from different um, uh, poverty, you know, people in poverty, people who had a lot, and we see the gospel dealing with all of that, people who didn't have so much. And then the book of Acts focuses on the horizontal universalization from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. So in other words, Luke's gospel shows us the Lord's deep and abiding care for people, regardless of what they've done, regardless of their status in society and acts comes along and says now take this gospel to everybody everywhere everywhere take this gospel to everybody so in order to do what jesus did we must seek what jesus sought if you and i are going to do what jesus did i remind you the spirit constantly reminds me he only left me here for one reason it wouldn't impress you it wasn't to store up bigger barns. It, 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 it wasn't for any other reason than the same reason he came, to be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus, to help get people to Jesus because of his heart was so willing to seek that which was lost. So notice verse 3. This is why we must, we must seek what Jesus sought. He says it here in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, it's important, the 40 days, to note this, because when we get to chapter 2, we're going to see the Spirit of God that God, is, that God has promised and Jesus has promised is going to appear at Pentecost. And so it's 10 days later. So between now and next Sunday's message, you, we only, you know, we could say, all right, 10 days is what's going to happen in this storyline. In 10 days, we're going to talk about what happens when the Spirit of God falls. And the, here he has appeared to them, and he's on his 40th day. And so the, the, he says, I'm alive. Here's what he's saying. he's saying. He's saying in this, I'm alive. Here's the proof. See the scars in my hand. See the spear in my side. He's appeared along the way for 40 days. But notice what he's speaking about. The what? The kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of America. Not the kingdom of Britain. Not any other kingdom. Not your personal kingdom, not my personal kingdom. But the kingdom of God, which reminds us of Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus said what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. So the beauty, blessing, and uniqueness of the, books of, Act, of the book of Acts is this. It's the only biblical book that gives us the history of the church immediately after Jesus' ascension. It reveals to us how the church was able to grow and spread out from Jerusalem into the rest of the Roman Empire. Get this, within three decades, church, a small group of frightened believers... This same group of frightened believers running at the time of the crucifixion, scared to death, huddled down in a house, afraid. And they, 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 we find that, that this frightened group of believers just within three decades uh, in Jerusalem transformed into an empire-wide movement of people who had committed their lives to Jesus Christ and ends on a high note with the Apostle Paul on the verge of taking the gospel to the highest government official in the land, the emperor of Rome. That's what God can do, amen? We serve, I'm reminded when I tell our people we go to West Africa where Islam has been taught for some 1,500 years and they've never heard the gospel in these unreached, unengaged people places, it comes back to the Spirit calls me back to we have a fast-forward God. He's not intimidated by that fact. And we have the Holy Spirit with us that no other religion can claim. The only people who have the Holy Spirit are the ones who come by way of the cross, believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Not your good works, not any other thing, not my good works. And so in order to continue the work of Jesus, we must also receive who Jesus sends. Now look at verse 4 and verse 5. We must receive, not only do we seek what Jesus sought, the kingdom of God, we must receive who Jesus sends. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. Everybody say promise. Promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Ten to be exact. And so here we see the disciples awaiting the anticipation of the church. Now I can only imagine how difficult that was for the Apostle Peter. Because if you know much about the Apostle Peter, he was on edge. He didn't like to wait. If you remember even going to the cross... You know, we talk about how big and bad and bold he was as long as he was with Jesus, you know, and then how he was running afterwards. But as long as he was with Jesus, he was drawing that sword out before, you know, he even asked Jesus and cutting off the ear of Malchus. And so the Apostle Paul had a problem waiting. I find waiting to be difficult myself many times. I'm sure you do as well, but God's Word reminds us in several occasions that what? Good things come to those who what? Wait. Who wait upon the Lord. But, but, but there is a time that it's not good to wait. There is a time that it's wrong to wait. For instance, because of what God did in Acts 1 and 2, we do not have to wait as the apostles did. And that's why the sermon title today is Stop Waiting to Be a Witness. So the apostles were commanded to wait. Had they got ahead of God and said, hey, we don't want to wait 10 more days. We're going to go do this thing now. They'd have fell flat on their face, right? Because they didn't wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. But now we have to be wise in our waiting too, knowing that good things come. And we have to be patient because patience is a virtue, the Word of God says. But one thing I can assure you on that we do not have to wait, that unfortunately it appears the church in general seems to be waiting to be. And that's a witness for Jesus Christ. Every believer is empowered. Every person sitting in this room this week that's a believer could share Christ with someone this week. We've just got, we got to be more sensitive. And, and I confess, I'm not as always sensitive as I, as I should be. But when I'm obedient, when I'm obedient, God blesses that obedience. When I'm obedient, there are people like the waitress I spoke to this last week, and just simply extended an invitation. Do you live in the community? Uh, uh, well, kind of, sort of. And I said, well, okay, well, I just want to invite you up to our church and smoke rise on top of the mountain there. We'd, we'd love it. And she, she looks at me and she says, well, I live in Pinson, but I've been looking for a church. I said, well, we'd love to have you. She may be here. Praise God if she is. Amen. But we've just got to be sensitive to extending an invitation, sensitive to going above and beyond even that and being a witness, sharing what God has done in our life and, and, and allowing the divine moment that the Holy Spirit has in store for people to come about as, as, as we're His hands and His feet. So what was the important promise that Jesus told the apostles to wait on? Uh, it was a person, it was the promise, was the Holy Spirit, and He would, I love this, He would take up residence in man, He would empower believers... And he would unify people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and every social class. Up until this point, nothing had ever been experienced like it. Could we tell God, thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Let's just tell him, thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, I would be as confused as people walking around in these occultic religions. 
I, I would be. I mean, he is the proof. He is the evidence of Jesus Christ himself, and he is living in us. So we must also focus on fulfilling, not fulfillment. Focus on fulfilling, not fulfillment. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. Here's what he's wanting us to know, as, as, he, as he taught his apostles and all disciples to know. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Does that question sound familiar? Walking through the Bible? Sure. He said to them, verse 7, it's, he said to them again, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now remember, these verses show the growth that still needs to take place in the life of these apostles, these disciples, as they try to revert back to a political restoration of Christ on earth in restoring Israel. In fact, it kind of shows you the same thing that we see the church struggling with today to where some things, times the world more dominates the church than the kingdom of God dominating. That basically was what was happening to them. The Jews rejected Jesus as a majority because they wanted a political king and a political savior to free them from the domination of Rome. And so they were focused more on government and more on a political restoration, and Jesus has to come back and remind them um, and to redirect their focus. So let's look at it. The theme right here of our sermon, and actually the theme of the entire book of Acts is found in verse 8 as he gets their attention back where it needs to be. But you will receive, everybody say power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So every believer is to be a part of Jesus' plan. What is Jesus' plan? For you to be a witness to the ends of the earth that people could hear. Not what you think. <laughs> You know, not how perfect you are, but hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? For everyone, thanks be unto God. Thanks be. That's what I love about it. If you ever see Franklin Graham and how God uses his ministry, we know, you know how God used Billy's ministry and there and everything that he did. But you can put Franklin Graham on Larry King Live. You can put Franklin Graham on anything, and they can look at Franklin Graham and say, well, what do you think about the past election, and what do you think? And, uh, and here's what Franklin will kind of do. He'll say, well, you know, I don't totally understand everything about politics, but one thing I do understand is man needs a new heart. And if you'll believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, God will give you a new heart. You know, and it's like, okay, that's, that, he understands it. He understands his purpose in not only doing that, but actually being the hands and feet of Jesus and to many who are in hurting places, many dark places, and doing like Jesus, using platforms where there's great need, great tragedy, and those type of things to get the gospel across. We should be sensitive to do the same. So Acts insists that God is not passive, but is active in empowering his people through the Holy Spirit for ministry. He says, you will be, not you might be, or hey, do you want to be? Will you choose to be? Will you choose to share your faith? Will you choose to invite someone who is unchurched to church or someone who is lost to hear the word of God? So here's a question for all of us. How are you doing? How am I doing personally when it comes to being a witness for Jesus? How are we doing personally? The more faithful we are in witnessing, the more people we will see come to Christ through salvation and baptism. Remember, the personal goal is to be a disciple that makes disciples that make disciples. 
And our goal as a church body is to help people find direction in life by equipping the saints of God and reaching the lost. We must stay focused and committed to fulfilling this task for the glory of God. The early church was focused on this, therefore God moved and blessed them. Many churches, unfortunately, have lost that focus. Here's proof. We're affiliated and associated with the Southern Baptist Convention and makes up about 46,000 churches. And here's the following statistics from 2016. 80% baptized nine or fewer people. 80% of 46,000 churches baptized nine or fewer people. It would, it would alarm you if you saw many times and looked through the churches that they may have money, and the money's there, but when it comes to the fulfillment of the Great Commission and baptism, it's a big goose egg. 365 days out of the year, $3 million surplus in the budget, and not one person comes to Jesus Christ. Something's wrong with that, church. Now, do not hear me saying, please do not hear me saying, that God wants every church to be a large church. That God wants every church... No, God wants every church to be an obedient church. So there are, thank God, some small churches out there, and all God's called them to do is be the best they can be in their area and community and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and lead people to Christ and disciple people. But I'm telling you, and it is proof and, and that, that there are too many churches that have pulled off to the side, and they've been there way too long. They've been there way too long. There's such stagnation. There's such stagnation there. And they've been there way too long. Way too long. And 50% baptized two or fewer. Two or fewer. And 25% of our churches baptized no one. Lack of baptism comes from a lack of obedience to Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. And we must always as a church stay focused. And it takes everybody being a part of that. It takes everybody being a part. If we're going to see that baptistry right up there and we're going to put the lights on that and keep the main thing the main thing, I promise you we will not be able to do it consistently just because of your staff here. We will not be able to do it like God wants to do it just because of our wonderful band he's blessed us with. We will not be able to do it because of our wonderful Sunday school teachers and small group teachers alone. We will see God do it when every believer in this room realizes they're empowered to be a witness, to be sensitive to who it is around you, on your street, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, to invite somebody with. So with that being said, where are you when it comes to being that witness? Have you pulled off to the side? Here's some signs of people who pull off to the side. Well, I just don't know anybody that's unchurched. <laughs> Uh, everybody I know goes to church. You ever heard that? I have. You ever heard that, Pastor Henry, challenging the students? Well, everybody I go to school with goes to church. We'll get to know the other 90%, because 90% don't. Well, everybody on my street goes to church. I doubt it. Maybe the one that you actually know on your street but the majority, the majority do not. And church, I'm telling you, if we just, if we just simply followed Acts 1-8, I promise you, some of the things, 
Some of the things that we deal with as leaders and some of the, the, the battle of the enemy, the discouragement sometimes that can come with that, I, I believe most of that would just go away if we just simply were being in the hands of the feet of Jesus and being a witness and, 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 and burdened and sensitive to get somebody to the gospel. I love to reach a day where they say, good Lord, get somebody else up there because the pastor's worn out from baptizing people, amen? I, I, I long, or, or, get, get somebody else, you know, to come baptize them. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm all just want to see that. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. We can be the witness he's called us to be. We can be the externally focused church for those who have yet to come while being the empowered, equipped church on the inside to be able to go and get them and not just get them, but take them deeper because we've been deeper. We've been deeper. See, there's a lot of churches that would consider them, a lot of these churches with goose eggs would say, oh, we're a deep church. We study deep theology. We study deep doctrine. We study all the, oh, really? But there's no power. There's no Holy Spirit empowerment. There's goose eggs of people that have been changed by the grace of God, that have been a fulfillment of the Great Commission. James, I'm reminded of James, he said, be doers and not hearers only. So what should you and I do every day for the rest of the days of our life in conclusion as the band gets ready? What should we, don't lose that question, what should you and I do every day for the rest of the days of our life? Well, here's the answer in verse 9 and 11 as we walk through this text. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men uh, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's going to happen. So what should you and I do every day for the rest of the days of our life? We should look forward to Jesus' return. And we should take as many people possible with us. Amen? We should take as many possible people with us. That's what these verses are talking about. And he's told us. <laughs> he's told us that I'm leaving. I'm empowering you. He told his disciples in John 14 that I'm going away to prayer place. I will come again and receive you unto myself. He's told us in his high priestly prayer in John 17, as much as he loves us, Father, leave them. As much as I love them and want to be with them and have the best fellowship, don't miss this, church. If fellowship was the priority, he'd take you when he saves you. If, if worship from the standpoint, we know worship's more than a song, but if worship from the standpoint or praises was, about, was the main thing in exalting God, he would take us when he saves us to be right in his presence, to worship around his throne, personally, see him personally. So don't, don't be, I'm not, all those are important. But of everything, he left us for one reason. Father, I pray that you not take them out of the world, but I pray that you leave them in the world for those yet to come. Amen? Now I'm going to ask a sobering question here for all of us. Sobering question. 
Who in this room can account that everybody on your street, if God came back today, would be in heaven? Raise your hand. Everybody on your street. We got some long streets, folks. We got some big neighborhoods. And that's why he's left us. That's why he's left us. Now, we all could account for how big our boat is and how nice our bow is and boat and bow. All right, you can tell where my mind's at, right? Outdoorsman. How nice our outfits are in our closet. How many shoes we got in our closet, ladies? Man, even the Holy Spirit has a hard time counting all those, right? We can account for all that. We can account for our IRAs. We can account for our pen. We can account for a lot of stuff. Nothing wrong with those things unless we've forgot the main thing. And we're not taking account of the main thing. And the main thing is that there's more lostness in this world than there's ever been. There's more lost people on your street than there's ever been. And people are dying. And people are dying without Jesus. And God's calling us to do something about it. God's calling us to do something. To move. To move out of our seats of complacency. To move out of the stagnated pool and to get with the current of the living God, the Holy Spirit, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? And if you'll commit to do that, if you'll follow through with that, you will see God do things in your life and move in your life, and, and we will all see what this life is really about. And sometimes we just got to be called back to what we're supposed to be doing, church. Amen? We all need it. I need it too. We've got to be called back. But the real question is, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? it, it's, it we, we can't keep pointing the finger and saying, well, this one needs to do it, this one needs to do it, they need to do it, they need to do it. No. Everybody take your finger and say, I need to do it. I need to be his witness. I need to do it. And each one can reach one. But it's really kind of like eating one of those chips. They say you can't eat just one. If you really reach one with the gospel of Jesus Christ and God saves them based on your obedience, you can't just do one, amen? And it should be contagious. Lord Jesus, I come to you, Father, having declared the truth of your gospel, God, your heartbeat. God, I confess I don't know how to do it all, Lord. I know you hadn't called me to do it all, God. But Lord, I know deep in my heart, I want to see, Father. I want to see the kingdom of God advance for your glory, Lord. God, this is your church, Lord Jesus. You know where we're weak. You know how we need to be strengthened, God. Lord, I ask that you do that. I ask that you show us. I ask that this church be led by 
the Holy Spirit and ask that, Lord, everybody, Father, searches deep within their heart, God, and answers your calling, your command to be a witness, Father, to be a witness on their street, across their street, Father, across this country, and across the world, Father, for your kingdom. If you're here in this room and you say, Pastor, I want to be the witness that God's empowered me to be, I just want you to stand to your feet right now. Pastor, I want to be the witness that God's empowered me to be. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Pastor, I want to be the witness He's left me on this earth to be. Amen. And you may be here and you may say, Pastor, before I can be that witness, I've got to get the power. I've got to be empowered. I want Jesus. I want the living God living inside of me. I want the Holy Spirit. God has opened my eyes to truth. I come today confessing my sins and accepting Jesus' invitation. Somebody's going to do that right now. Somebody's going to do that. You've been battling it. You've been coming and you've been listening. But I sense in my spirit it's time. Right now, just call out to God and say, God, I'm so sorry that my sins nailed your son to the cross. And I confess them all. And I accept your invitation and invite you into my heart and my life to be my Lord and Savior. And God, I know you did it all for me. I know you sent your son for me. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give God glory, church, for those who may have prayed that, amen? Amen. Hey, if you prayed that, you can't keep it to yourself. You just can't. And so you ain't got to, we wouldn't point you out, we wouldn't embarrass you, but just fill that connect card out. Say, I accepted Jesus. Come down here to this altar, pray, grab me as the band's singing, and, 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 and tell me, man, I prayed that prayer today, and we'll tell you the next steps, okay? Let's sing our praises to God. He is worthy, rich. You lead us. And I'll come back up and conclude in just a minute. Close us out.